Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you are not silent, that you have spoken to us, not only in creation, but in the sending of your Son, and in uh, the word that we have just read here this evening. We pray that um, we would be attentive to what you have to say to us, uh, such a familiar passage, it's easy to stop our ears and to close our hearts but we pray that you would pierce us afresh and give us a new vision and new desires to obey you and a new appreciation for your grace and mercy toward us in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So tonight we're looking at uh, why, what might be, in modern times, one of the most famous verses in all of um, the Bible. Judge not. If you look back over the past 60 years or so, um, culturally, maybe from like the 1960s till maybe a decade ago or so, um, there was kind of this ethos in our country of live and let live, right? Don't judge was a very common ethos. Let everyone do what's right for themselves. And in large part, I think this, uh, this ethos existed because our country became increasingly pluralized, you know, lots of different belief systems, people groups, cultures, um, values, morals. Um, it just, the, the, the landscape of our country um, diversified. And in order to get along with one another, there was sort of this spirit of, hey, kind of let everybody be who they're going to be and let's not fight over how we're all supposed to be. Live and let live, right? And that kind of bred a sort of relativism that there's really no absolute truth. There's no morality that extends over everybody, only truths and morals that you know belong to particular individuals or cultures right and so like the the big lebowski the dude um that's just your opinion man you know that's kind of the ethos thank you yeah so in this context you know don't judge that kind of became a slogan for um how people were to live their lives but I think things have changed pretty rapidly in the last 10 years, and especially as social media has come on the scene. Relativism has sort of given way to a new ethos, and um, this one I will call just sort of outrage culture or cancel culture, right? So for a long time, everyone was instructed to just leave each other alone, but now we aggressively and fervently police one another to abide by strict codes of speech and behavior and values. And those that do not abide by the current sense of what is just and right are mobbed, are canceled, and ultimately they are condemned. So we've seen this kind of big shift from relativism to cancel culture. 
Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, I think, offers a new and better way, better than relativism, better than cancel culture. Now, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, over the last several weeks, we've seen Jesus particularly addressing the Pharisees and the way they have distorted the law of God. And then he began to turn and criticize and critique the way that the Pharisees practice piety, right? The, the spiritual disciplines of the, of the faith, giving, praying, fasting. He showed how these things that were aimed at, at holiness and growth in the fear of the Lord and in godliness became um, distorted as people sought to sort of puff themselves up and to look good. And so um, then he, after that criticism, he moves and he has this extended reflection on anxiety that Trevor preached on last week, this need to control our lives and how that breeds us anxiety in our lives. And both of these, these kind of parts of Jesus's sermon, I think, are touching on this issue of pride and the symptoms that pride develops in us. And I think he continues in that same vein in our passage today, where he begins to talk about a critical and condemning um, spirit, which is one of the symptoms of pride. So that's what we're going to look at, um, this, this verse, judge not. Now, what does it mean to judge? Um, of course, on one level, judging just means forming an opinion about something or a conviction. It's about discerning something, right? Um, but in another level, when we talk about judging, we have this idea of condemning people by way of a negative evaluation. And the passage um, as a whole here shows us, as along with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus is not forbidding that first thing, that being discerning, you know, developing convictions, having opinions. He is not condemning that. Rather, he is condemning the, the second thing that I mentioned, um, where we, we have these negative evaluations of people and we condemn them, right? Discernment is not a problem. In fact, Jesus calls for discernment later on in this sermon uh, when he talks about being wise and being aware of false teachers, right? And later in the gospel, he talks about being a wise, uh, wise as serpents. We have the, the book of Proverbs, which calls us to seek wisdom and discernment. We have the rest of the New Testament where we're called to grow in the knowledge of God's will. It's obvious from all of Scripture that maturity involves knowing good and evil and being able to discern those things. What is wise? What is foolish? So that's not what Jesus is condemning at all. Rather, he is talking about here a critical spirit, a, a, a condemning attitude that constantly is rendering a negative and final verdict on other people. He's not saying don't make evaluations of others, don't form opinions, but to take great care in how we go about doing that. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call what Jesus is talking about judgmentalism, all right? Judgmentalism. That means being characterized by a tendency to render quick evaluation of other people and to condemn them. And so it, it kind of looks like this. It's characterized by having a greater scrutiny and attention, a focus on other people and their flaws than on our own. It involves having a greater strictness with which we evaluate other people, uh, a greater standard than how we evaluate ourselves. Um, it's as if the sins of other people are more significant than our sins are. All of that together, I think, is this judgmentalism that Jesus is condemning. Now, I think one of the leading causes for people rejecting Christianity today is that they find us to be highly judgmental. Now, certainly, 
it, um, it, it's the case that some people are going to feel that way simply because we believe there are truths, there are things that are right and wrong, and we are, we're called to proclaim that and to call people to repentance. And so when we do that, of course, there are going to be people who feel like we're being judgy just because we are talking about truth and how others should live and how we should live. But having grown up in the church and been here my entire life and having spoken with many, many people about their experience in church, I am confident that many people are right when they feel that Christians and churches are guilty of what Jesus is talking about here. And I know this for a fact because I am guilty of this and still very often fall very short um, of, of what Jesus is talking about here. This is a piercing criticism that we need to listen to. So I want to talk about judgmentalism, and we're going to see uh, four steps in uh, our passage today. So we're going to start with arguments against judgmentalism. Jesus does a takedown on judgmentalism, and I want us to hone in on verses three and four to look at these two rhetorical questions that Jesus asks to uh, essentially expose the problem of judgmentalism. So first, in verse three, he asks, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? What Jesus is exposing with this question is that judgmentalism is a failure to see clearly. Jesus asks why we see one thing and don't notice another. In the Bible, the eye is the organ of judgment. And he is suggesting that this organ in us, when we are judgmental, is flawed. We have bad eyes. When I was really young, one time I got some sand in my eye, and I remember it, it was stuck there for several days. Uh, it was a horrible experience. I could feel it sort of in the back of, of my eye at one point, and it just seemed to not be able to get dislodged. And so for days, my eyes were watering constantly. And you know what that's like when you get something in your eye and they're watering a lot. It, it blurs your vision. You can't see very clearly out of that eye. And Jesus is arguing that our own sins, our own flaws, our own weaknesses distort our judgment, our ability to see what's going on around us and particularly see the flaws of other people rightly. And we all know this is true. I mean, we, we see this all the time in ourselves and in other people, right? People who uh, maybe are unrighteously angry, seem blind to the reality of a situation, those who are uh, overly afraid or maybe overly greedy have a distorted picture of reality. Those who are ignorant are misguided in their evaluations. And certainly those who are idolatrous, whenever we value something as ultimate that is not God himself, it always throws everything out of proportion. So our eyes are not seeing clearly. Think about times when we've looked at someone and said, oh, so-and-so is so wrapped up in his whatever, that he can't see what he is doing to his family. We see this all the time. A critical spirit hinders our ability to see clearly, to judge rightly. Judgmentalism is a failure to see clearly. But he asks a second question in verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? And this question is a little bit different. What Jesus is focusing on here is how judgmentalism is hypocritical. Now, why? Because it focuses and seeks to address a small problem in other people while ignoring a larger problem in us. Jesus says, 
how can you say to your brother, let me take this, right? It, it's about acting on what we think we're seeing. We focus on uh, the other person. We say, oh, I'm going to identify this. And then we act in a particular way. And Jesus is highlighting how hypocritical this is. And we all know this is true as well. Most often, those who are most critical of other people fail to see their own flaws, their much bigger flaws, and they often refuse to address the problems in their own life. So a condemning attitude is hypocritical. So judgmentalism, what Jesus is putting his finger on here, is a critical spirit, a condemning attitude. And it's characterized by this greater focus on others, a greater standard, a higher standard for other people, and a, and a greater sense of significance uh, regarding their sins than our own. Now, you know, you watch movies and shows and uh, it's sort of obvious, uh, it's, it's so common as a movie trope, that the, the characters that we hate most are not often the evil villains. I mean, sometimes there's something we can appreciate about them. The people we hate the most in stories are the judgmental people who are hypocritical, right? They're the, they're the worst people. They're the most disliked characters in movies. And of course, in real life, I think that's often the case as well. Judgmentalism is blind and is hypocritical. And so then we need to ask, what is the cause of judgmentalism? The cause of judgmentalism. Now, um, what leads us to this attitude? Jesus doesn't actually directly name it in the verses that we read. But as we zoom out a little bit and we look at the sermon as a whole and we think about the context in which he is giving us this teaching, we remember that Jesus has been going after the Pharisees. The Pharisees are those who are practicing their righteousness before men. They're they're trumpeting their giving to the needy. They're praying on the street corners where everyone can see them so they will be seen and approved of by other people. Um, they assume that their exalted prayers merit God's attention. Um, they don't forgive people. They make sure they mess up their face and look really dirty whenever they're fasting so people know that they're fasting. Um, so they're, they're obsessed with exalting themselves. They are the negative examples um, behind this passage um, they're the ones who think of themselves as better than other people, and they're obsessed with making sure everyone knows it. And so at the heart of what this passage is getting at is the issue of pride. That is the cause of judgmentalism, is our pride. And friends, this is a, a, a problem that is common to everyone. Uh, secular or religious, everybody deals with pride. It is this attitude that we are better than others, that we are more important than others, then we are more deserving than others. You can be a religious person proud of your piety or your supposed moral superiority. You can be a secular person who's proud of your tolerance and your humanism. Everybody has pride deep down, and it is on display everywhere, all around us. We see it online, the constant signaling that we're one of the good people. Look at those people over there. Can you believe them? Look at, look at me. I'm, I'm one of those who recognizes how bad those people are, right? It's Rampant in our conversations with one another. Can you believe what those other people did? I would never do such a thing. It's the undertone of so much of what we talk about. In the church, it's, uh, you know, it's like this sort of fundamental operating system below the surface, often that, that we're the best, that we obey the best, that we protect the truth the best, that we minister the best, that we worship the best. There's this underlying pride that we are superior. And this goes all the way back to the garden um, when Adam and Eve sinned. This, 
the sense that they knew better, um, that they should be exalted to be like God, um, that, that they don't have to submit to God and trust him. They can live independent of him. I mean, pride is at the heart of all our sins, really, and especially at the heart of judgmentalism. And the reason is, is that pride um, produces self-justification, right? Pr- pride assumes that we can merit God's love and acceptance and, and blessing. And so pride makes us labor constantly to make ourselves acceptable to God. But deep down in our conscience, we feel our inadequacy and we suppress that truth. We know that we're inadequate, but we cannot admit that to ourselves. And so we suppress that truth and we turn and we look at others and we begin to compare ourselves to other people. And as we compare ourselves to other people, we begin to distort the law of God. We, we begin to kind of add to it or take away from it. We add things that we're good at as, oh, that's what God requires. And the things we're bad at, we say, oh, he doesn't really require that. Um, and we do that in order to feel superior to other people, to, to uh, ease our conscience and so um, then we, um, we are just so fixated on the flaws of other people to bolster our sense that we are okay. All of that comes from pride. Pride makes us strive and compare and distort and ultimately condemn. So the cause of judgmentalism is pride. The warnings that Jesus gives here make sense in light of that. Look at verse 2 where we look at the warning against judgmentalism. Jesus says uh, in verse 1 as well, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What Jesus is saying here is a pride and judgmentalism killer. In one sense, what Jesus is saying here is is sort of common sense. I mean, we kind of see this, right? In this life, If we are highly critical people, a spirit of superiority, always criticizing, always condemning, eventually other people will jump at the opportunity to apply our own expectations that we have on others to us. As soon as we fail, they will jump and they will apply it to us and we will stand condemned by our own standards that we apply to other people. Highly self-righteous critical people aren't tolerated very long. But I think Jesus is talking about something uh, even more fundamentally significant than that. And that's that all of us are going to be judged by the true judge of the world someday, right? And we confess this whenever we read the Apostles' Creed. Uh, We know from all of Scripture that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Everyone will stand before God and receive judgment uh, after they die when Jesus returns. And Jesus warns us that if we are hypocritical, if we are a critical person that lacks mercy and grace, that will be how we experience the final judgment as well. A heart that is unsoftened by God's mercy will not be shown mercy. Those who show no mercy will and have not received mercy. Tim Keller has uh, this brilliant illustration, and you've heard me talk about it before, but he he asks us to imagine walking around our lives with an invisible tape recorder hanging around our neck. And this tape recorder um, only turns on whenever we start thinking or vocalizing some standard or expectation on some other person. Any rule we have or any expectation we have of other people, it 
just turns on, records that, turns off. And at the end of our life, imagine that um, we stand before God and that tape recorder is played and we are evaluated only on what we have ever expected of anybody else. And Tim Keller says that if that's the only thing that happened at our judgment, all of us would stand condemned. All of us do not even meet up to our own standards for other people. We would all be judged unworthy and guilty. But friends, we will be judged by more than that. We won't be judged only by our own standards, but on God's perfect and holy law. And certainly we fall short according to God's perfect law. And the reason is, is that God sees our hearts. He sees our thoughts. He sees our words. He sees our actions. He sees everything about who we are. There's um, this passage in Revelation that we looked at in the fall where John has this vision of the Son of Man in all his glory, and he's describing him sort of symbolically, and he talks about Jesus' piercing, fiery eyes. And um, this image of these flaming eyes uh, is an image of the, the judgment of Jesus, that he, he pierces through us. He sees through all our deception, all our performance, all the pretense, all that's hidden from other people. And he sees our fantasies, our corrupt desires. He sees what we do in secret. He sees what we say. I mean, he sees it all. God sees us and he will judge us for how we have lived. He sees us more clearly than we see ourselves. And that's why scripture proclaims it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But there is good news and there is hope for prideful and judgmental hypocrites like me and like you. Because if you receive God's mercy, then we are told you will receive mercy. If you don't pronounce final judgment on other people, but you show mercy to them, then you will be shown mercy. And the reason is, is that you are trusting in God's patience. God is quick to forgive. God is quick to renew us. And we know that because he sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. And as we look at Jesus and his life, we see this life of perfect obedience and love if there was anyone who ever had a clear eye, it was Jesus, and yet he has compassion and mercy for sinners. He was so good in the way he lived his life, and yet uh, he was condemned by the world. Even those who put him to death declared him to be innocent. Uh, all, they saw this, there's no guilt in this man, and yet the judge of the universe allowed himself to be judged by humanity and condemned on a cross. The world rushed to judgment about Jesus, passed judgment on him quickly, even to the point of saying, this man needs to die, which is exactly how we treat people all the time. This person is so bad. I have the whole picture. They deserve the worst. The world looked at Jesus that way, and yet he humbled himself, and he took the place of the condemned on the cross. He bore God's judgment for us, this humiliating experience where he hung on the cross and everyone looked at him, maybe didn't know the whole situation, and goes, oh man, I wonder what that guy did. He must be a, a horrible dude. Can you have, do you know what it's like when you're falsely accused and, and you want to be vindicated, you want everyone to see you're not guilty of what people are saying about you and how painful it is to know you can't correct you know, everyone's understanding of the situation? Imagine Jesus on the cross, perfectly innocent, and yet he's hanging condemned before the world 
in all his shame and nakedness exposed to die as if he is a horrible criminal and he has no way to vindicate himself. He suffered the wrath of God for us. He died, the righteous one for the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God and to justify us before God. That is to take away our condemnation and to set us right with God. We can be justified through faith in Christ as a gift of grace, not because of our works. And Christ's righteousness is given to us. It's credited to us. So even though um, when God sees us, he pierces to the heart and he sees all our corruption, all our guilt, Christ's righteousness is credited to us and we are covered and we live in this state of mercy and grace. If we repent of our sins and trust wholly on Jesus, we're justified before God. That takes humility. We have to humble ourselves and depend wholly on the work of Christ for us. And as we do that, the fiery eyes of Jesus look different to us. They look like eyes of mercy and love and delight. And friends, if you understand that Jesus has done that for you and you receive that, you receive Jesus' mercy, then it begins to free us to be honest about our failures. We, we, we have to, um, well, we stop comparing ourselves to other people so much and obsessing about their sins. Uh, we can go to other people with compassion and mercy because we know we have been shown great mercy. If we know that we won't be judged guilty, we won't become judgmental and constantly condemn those around us. This is the opposite of the outrage culture that we live in today. And also, it avoids the error of, ju of the just sort of, oh, you know, don't judge me, man. Live and let live. So what I want us to see, lastly, is this proper judgment that Jesus calls us to have. This new and humble way. And he says it in verse 5. It's kind of easy to miss, but he's actually instructing us to judge, but to do it in the right way. And it, it involves this humility this humble discernment, and also healthy criticism. See, the one thing that the proud lack is humility. They, they lack the ability to examine themselves and to repent. And Jesus says in verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is telling us there is a way to judge. There is a way to correct and to criticize, and it begins with us dealing with ourselves. Dealing with ourselves with greater scrutiny and attention and focus than what we show to, uh, to others. With greater strictness than um, what we apply to other people. To treat our sins as if they are more significant than the sins of other people. We do that first, he says. We take the small thing or excuse me, the large thing out of our own eye. And then we address the smaller, less significant sin of our brother. Rigorous self-examination and repentance comes before pointing out the flaws in other people. So just think for a second what this looks like. I just want to kind of compare a judgmental spirit to um, a humble, merciful, gracious spirit. Judgmentalism is rigorous in analyzing the faults of other people. You know, brilliantly rigorous. <laughs> Gets into the weeds. Great analysis. But um, when it comes to ourselves, kind of lazy. Judgmentalism weighs the faults of others heavily, takes them very, very seriously, and minimizes 
our own sins. Is very strict and precise, like a, you know, not in a negative way here, like a lawyer, you know, when it comes to the sins of other people. But loose and finds all sorts of exceptions for ourselves. Judgmentalism is unable to see things from another person's perspective. But humility and grace is able to actually step into the shoes of another person and see their perspective even when we might disagree with them. Judgmentalism is slow to learn from other people. Humility and grace and mercy involves being quick to learn from other people. Judgmentalism is quick to make assumptions about people, but humility is quick to ask questions with curiosity to gain a better understanding. Judgmentalism is quick to criticize and slow to admit wrong, but humility is slow to criticize and quick to admit wrong. At bottom, judgmentalism is quick to condemn, but if we are humble, we are quick to show mercy and understanding to other people. And friends, if we begin to live into this new way that Jesus invites us into because of his mercy toward us, there is incredible freedom and peace to focusing on ourselves. We're not responsible for changing other people. You're not responsible for that. In fact, we can't change other people. And it's incredibly frustrating and burdensome to feel the weight of trying to change everyone around us. I know this uh, from experience. <laughs> that's not a positive thing. That's a negative thing. We have no control over other people. But we are able to work on our own sins and flaws and promises, uh, uh, not promises, uh, problems and weaknesses by God's grace. And when we begin to focus on that, there, there's this freedom that comes and this peace that comes. It doesn't mean we don't ever step in and speak to the problems of other people. Jesus tells us how to do that. But there's freedom in focusing on our own sins first. So let me just highlight uh, three quick ways to apply our passage today. Um, individually, all of us, as we pursue uh, maturity, should be pursuing this dominant or default disposition of encouragement. It's kind of the opposite of judgmentalism. And uh, boy, is this something that I want to grow in. Encouragement rather than criticism. Maturity uh, will look like being someone who is always looking for and naming evidence of grace in other people. Uh, we're, we will we'll be quick to see how God is at work in other people, how God has gifted them, uh, how God is working in them to do what is right, and we name that and we celebrate that and we encourage them in that. Uh, my second grade teacher, Mrs. Grice, uh, one time, I was, I don't remember exactly what I was doing. I think I was, I was kind of sticking up for some kid who was not doing great in class, and I was trying to help him, and I don't remember the whole thing, but I just remember she pulled me aside, and she said, you know, that's great what you're doing for him. You know, that is what a leader does, and you're going to be a great leader. That has stuck with me, and I bet you can think of times in your life where someone has seen good things in you, things that God is doing in you, and they've named it. And that has incredible power. So that's part of growing in maturity and growing out of this critical spirit, being someone who's quick to encourage. Uh, as a church, how do we apply this? Uh, I say this a lot, so this is not new. 
But we need to be a church that is more concerned about our own sins than the sins of the world around us. There are plenty to look around us and say, wow, look at how crazy things are and how horrible things are and godless things are. And that, that's, I'm not denying that at all, but God calls us to focus primarily on our own sins. So let's be a repentant community that is um, looking to the grace of God to renew us and to lead us in the ways of righteousness. And lastly, if you're a leader uh, of any sort, if you're a parent, this is a real hard thing to do. Because <laughs> part of your job is to, um, to help people grow and to point out things that are dangerous to them or wrong. And so you need to be uh, critical in certain ways. Uh, and so I, I see this so much in my own leadership. It's so easy to become so focused on the ways that people need to grow up or change or something like that, that I lose sight of uh, my own weaknesses and how they're contributing to the problem. And so if you're a leader, if you're a parent, I encourage you, um, and I'm encouraging myself, that we've got to first look at ourselves and think, how am I contributing to this dynamic that's not healthy and good? How do I lead these people by first owning my own flaws in this situation? So that's where the grace of God takes us. And I believe that God is doing that. Um, I believe that he's working in us to make us not a, a, a community filled with critical judgmentalism, but increasingly learning to encourage one another and to take responsibility and then to go to each other humbly and help each other with the things that we see that, that God wants to work um, to improve and to change. The good news is that as we go to this table, um, this is God's way of telling us that we are justified before him, that our condemnation has been received because Christ gave his body and shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. You have been shown mercy, and so um, you can show mercy. So come and eat and drink in faith, trusting that Jesus has given you his righteousness, and, uh, and then go and encourage those around you. So let's pray together.